1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 to 2, verse 3. It reads, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, there is truth to the statement that you can choose your friends, but you cannot choose your family. The reason behind a statement like that is because family is difficult at times to deal with. That at times there are family members that you sort of try to avoid, to keep conversations on a sort of lighter note, because you are afraid of some of the things that they say. But at times, family members take the relationship that they have with you for granted. They don't see the need to tolerate you, to just say what they want. You know, they know that you're not going to do anything because you are bonded together by blood, quote unquote. That you know that there are some family members that when they call, your heart does not live for joy for various reasons. Because of who they are and perhaps because of what they're always asking. But the statement is true. You can choose your friends, but you cannot choose your family. Because family comes as it is. It comes with all its imperfections. Your siblings, your parents, your aunts and uncles, they come to you as they are. Cannot pick and choose the traits that they possess. You can either choose to love them or walk away from them. This is not different from a Christian family. There are some who are, who are believers, some who become part of God's church, that you would not naturally gravitate towards if they are not part of God's family. There are some who are in the church that, are, that don't vibe with you, to use the young people's lingo. lingo. That you don't exactly uh, gel with them. But because of this thing that has happened to both of you, because you have both been saved by God, adopted into this family, 
You can't afford to live with them. You can't afford to love them as you love yourself. You can't afford to bear with their sins. You're forced to care for their needs as you care for yours. You are kind of forced to see them at least twice per week at Bible study or on, uh, on Sunday at church, perhaps more than that. But God has called us to be a family. We're not choosing our family. He has chosen the family for us. And he calls you and I to love those whom we have not chosen. To love those whom we have not chosen. This week we're looking at chapter 1 of 1 Peter. It's because from last week we've been thinking about what it means for us to be a church especially what it means for us to be an effective church in the coming year. So last week we were looking up, looking at what do we have that we can be grateful for, what God has done for us in Christ. And one of the things that we are grateful for in each and every group after the, uh, the church service when we were meeting together was the church family, that they felt genuine love and compassion from the church. That some people felt welcome and enjoyed time together over tea and coffee, over our monthly branches that we bring and share. This morning we are continuing with that. We are continuing the call from one Peter. People who had been chosen by God who had been put in this place in Asia Minor and they were suffering together. They were being persecuted by those around them. They were marginalized for their faith. And what we see in the first part of 1 Peter, which is 1 after the introduction, in verses 1 to 21, they have been called that, that despite their suffering, to live in hope. To live in hope that something better is coming than what they are experiencing in this world. And secondly, to live in holiness. To be holy just as God is holy. And thirdly, to live in fear. That despite being in a loving and glorious relationship with God, despite the suffering that they are encountering from those around them, to fear the one who can kill the body and the soul. To not fear the people who are persecuting them, around them, but rather to live in fear of God. To live in fear of not being in good relationship with him. And now the attention turns away from how they are to relate to God and to, uh, to those who are persecuting them, but turns to how, they are, how are they to relate to one another? How does them being saved by God, chosen by God, and brought into a relationship with God, 
shape how we are to live together. And the first thing we see there is that they are called to love one another. They are first called to love one another, verses 122. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Peter starts this section by declaring that they have been purified or they've been made holy. That word purified they or sanctified, depending on the version that you have in front of you, the one you have here at the church says purified, means to be set apart, to say that this is for a specific purpose. You can think about it like uh, not those expensive fates that you have in your house, that you, they live in the room divider or they live in the, um, in the kitchen, in the upper cabinets. Those have been set aside for specific occasions set aside for birthdays, for important visitors, for labola negotiations, or sometimes when a pastor comes to visit, or a government official, or a, a, a king, or a nduna from the community. When you decide that this place are so nice, are so good looking, that they represent the best side of us as a family, we're going to set them aside. We're going to sanctify them for a specific purpose. The church in Asia Minor is also being sanctified. Has been sanctified by God to be His. God has looked upon humanity and said that these people belong to me. They have looked at everyone else and says, out of all the people, these people belong to me. He has called them, set them aside, and said, these people are special. They are mine. These people have sanctified themselves by obeying the truth that when they heard the word of God preached to them, they believed it. They trusted in it. And in so doing, they were set aside by God. Those who have been set aside are called by God to have sincere love for each other. To love one another deeply from the heart. More literally there is to love one another deeply from the purity of the heart, with sincerity, those who have been called to become part of God's family, those who have been called to holiness, are now commanded to show their holiness in this way by being deeply devoted to one another. Those who have been adopted into God's family. God said, 
Let your life be, be, be free from hypocrisy. As we will see later on um, in the passage that we'll look at, especially in, in beginning of chapter 2. Let your lives be rid of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. That's what deep love is. That's what love from a pure heart is. It is without those things that is going to tell them in chapter 2. Now that they have been called by God, now that God has said, you are my people, by their obedience to the truth, God says, show your obedience in this way too, by loving one another with a pure heart, by loving one another deeply. That let your love not be a shallow love, a love of appearances. The opposite of love that is deep is a hypocritical love in chapter 2 is a love that is filled with lies, deceit. It's not true. It's a love that is filled with slander. A love that smiles in front of you and says horrible things behind you. A love that is deep, does not envy, but rejoices when the other person is doing well. A love that is deep is without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy in the Bible is, uh, is literally play acting. Actors back in the days used to be called hypocrites. Uh, and a hypocrite would be someone who wears a mask. They would paint a mask of this character that this person is supposed to be portraying. And they would put that mask right in front of them. See their eyes, they've been opening of the mouth so that when that person is acting, what we're seeing is not them, but the mask. That's what hypocrites, the word hypocrites actually came from. Those people are called hypocrites. Portraying someone that they themselves were not. Deep love is without hypocrisy, is without pretense, it is sincere from the heart. And that's the first thing that Peter calls the church to here. And that is a call for us as believers as well in the church, that we may have a deep and pure love for one another. A love that is untainted by sin. A love that forgives. A love that is truthful. And then it goes on in the next in verses 23-25. Not only are you, are you to have deep and sincere love for one another, but you are called not to stop loving one another. Not only love one another, but don't stop loving. 
remember that you as well are eternal. So therefore, don't stop loving one another. Verses 23 to 25. For you have been born again. For you have been called. So it's, the same, it's the same concept there. You have been called, you have been sanctified. You have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. He first, Peter first starts there by, by reminding them that you who have been called, you who have been sanctified, you who have been set aside, you have been set aside because you have believed the truth. That you have believed the word of God when it was preached to you. Verse 25. But the word of God, the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So therefore you who have been called, who have been set aside, you have been called through this thing that is imperishable. You have been made into a child of God by this thing that is eternal, enduring. And then he turns and he says, remember life. Remember that life is not enduring. Remember that life, this life, before us is temporary. Verses 24, it says, all people are like grass. And their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Remember that everyone what they have, their bodies, is temporary. Remember that you are like the flowers that you see outside. They fall to the ground. Some get picked up and put on water, but they don't last forever. They are temporary. That you who have been called... You who have been set aside by believing something that is eternal, by believing something that endures forever, let that be prioritized. Not the glory of man, not the, uh, the praise of people. So therefore, he is calling believers there to hold on to that which is eternal. How is this connected to love, you may ask? It's connected to love because it is, first of all, in between these two sections that speak about love. That you are to read yourself of these things in verses 2 to, four, to, 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 to 3, that corrupt love, that make love bad, and then at the top, verse 22, to 20, to 20, verse 22, you are to love one another deeply from the heart. 
And right in the middle, she comes and he says, remember that this life is temporary. So therefore, give yourself to love. Give yourself to a sincerity of love. Pure kind of love. All people are like grass. All relationships that you have are like grass. Everyone around you, the people that you're trying to please, whether at work or at school, in your community, they wither away apart from Christ. What matters in the end is whether you have loved Christ, you have heard the word preached to you, and that you have loved those that God has adopted you into. That's what matters. The word endures. The family that is created by the word endures. So therefore, the challenge to, uh, to, to, to those who are hearing this, is that what are you going to do? Are you going to, um, are you going to value that which does not endure? Or are you going to hold on to that which is eternal, which is created by the Word of God? Are you going to hold on to the glory of people, to being liked, to being perceived to be great? Or are you going to hold on to that which endures forever, which is not perishable? which does not end. This is a challenge to us as believers. That the people who have been given to, to us in God's family are the people that you're going to spend an eternity with. The question is, are we going to spend time devoted to them, loving them, caring for them, or are we going to spend our time and energy and resources trying to get other people to like us, to accept us, to think that we are great, to affirm us as good people? What we see here is that God is radically centered around those who have been created by the very word of God. And he says, hold on to those people. Love those people deeply from the heart. And then lastly, he says, not only are you to love these people and not stop loving them, he says, grow together. Grow together. Verses, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. It starts by saying, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, all uh, hypocrisy, envy, all slander of every kind, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that in it you may grow up in your salvation. 
Notice there the difficult thing about the English Bible is that at times you, don't, you can't tell if you see a U in chapter 2, in chapter 2, verse 2. In your Bible there, like new babies crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. That you is difficult to tell in the English, if it's whether it's referring to you as an individual, that you may grow, or you as a group, that you may grow. The reference there is that is a reference to a group of people. You are to crave spiritual milk as a group that you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you, as a group, have tasted that the Lord is good. This is not very obvious. You need to know a little bit of the original language. But what you also see in the words that come before is that all those words that come before are sort of relational words, aren't they? It can be, it cannot be malicious and deceitful and hypocritical and envious. If you live on your own planet, you live by yourself, who are you going to envy? Who are, against whom are you going to act in a malicious manner? Who are you going to deceive if there's no one there to deceive? Who are you going to slander if you are not in community? So God has called us to live together in community. He has, called, he has said that our love should be free from these things like malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, of one another, but he has called us as a community to grow together, to crave pure spiritual milk together, so that you may grow up in your salvation, and that you have tasted that the Lord is good. He calls us not only to love one another, but to continue to grow together as God has called us. He has said that, look, now that you have been brought into this family as the children of God, be like a child who craves pure spiritual milk, a newborn child who is dependent on their parents for nourishment and for growth. You'll be concerned, isn't it, if a child is not growing. I always wonder, are we concerned that we ourselves, as, as, a, as a community, as a family, that we are not growing? And what, it, what is this pure spiritual milk, you may ask? It is that which they have tasted. It is that which they have heard in verse 3. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, what have they tasted? If you look back in verse 25 of the, of the last chapter, But the word of the Lord stands forever. 
And this is the word that was preached to you. And in verses 22 as well. Now that you have been purified yourself by obeying the truth. So a word was preached to them. They obeyed that word. That is believed in the Son that Paul was preaching to them. They trusted in him. Now, Peter turns to them and he says, continue in that, grow in that. As a family, as a group of people, be devoted to that. Not to anything else that is unproductive, that perishes. But rather crave, love, pure spiritual man. Crave the word together. Those who love one another, they crave the word together and they live in obedience, in obedience to the word together. So therefore, if you are in a church where you are loving and you are being loved, in a church where you are uh, devoted to get to, to, towards one another, the challenge that comes is, are you growing together? Because it's not enough to merely be in a relationship with one another, but you have to be in a relationship where you are growing together as a family of believers, where you are eating this pure spiritual milk together as a family of believers. Think about it in this way. Is your relationship with the church, those who have been brought into God's family, merely a social one, where you, uh, you meet together, they ask about you, they ask about your day, they ask about your week, and you are feel cared for and loved, but when you have needs, you can call someone and say, hey, I'm in need of this, and they, and they come to your aid. Or does it also include a spiritual element in it? When you meet together, are we concerned about our growth, our spiritual growth, as we are about our physical manifest growth, what we can see, whether uh, are we concerned about our spiritual well-being as we are concerned about our social well-being? Do we care if none of our family members are, are reading the Bible at all, are praying at all, are attending Bible study, are applying the word in their lives, not just hearing it. Do we care? That's not deep love. That's not what God calls us to do, if we don't care. Do we care that our family members, those who belong to God's family, never seen its church Worshipping and fellowshipping with other Christians. If you don't see someone for three, two, three, four weeks, 
Are you bothered enough to send a WhatsApp message and say, hey, I haven't seen you in a while? Because you're not just concerned about them socially, that they're being alienated from you, but you're also concerned that they may not be growing in the Lord. But they're not feeding on him by faith. Our relationships to one another ought to have this sort of two-legged stool. One when we are devoted to one another with our actions. We are caring for one another's needs. But we also have to be devoted to one another with the word of God. Caring that others are growing in it, are hearing it, are obeying it, are not alienated from God through their actions. Let us pray and ask God to help us with that. Heavenly Father, we are challenged this morning to care not only that people are around us, that they've come to church, but to also care that they are growing in you, that they are devoted to you, Lord, that they are continuing to love you. Lord, I pray that as we meet later today to, uh, as a church to think about how we can be strengthening our relationships with one another, that indeed we would care about the second aspect as well as the first. Give us a deep and a sincere love for one another, Lord. A love that seeks to see others grow in you. I pray and ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.